Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Marta Zaruska will join us to discuss Meat Hooked. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. When the World Health Organization officially connected red and processed meats to cancer, the media shouted warnings from the rooftops. Yet most Americans still haven't followed up on the recommendation to replace steaks with veggies. Well, in the new book, Meat Hooked, the history and science of our 2.5 million year obsession with meat, author Marta Zaruska explores the issue of our obsession with meat and science behind it. Marta Zaruska is a science journalist and author of the new book, Meat Hooked, the history and science of our 2.5 million year obsession with meat. And Mr. Rusk, I want to thank you very much for joining us on the Grok Science Show. It's my pleasure. Certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book you've written here, uh, Meat Hooked. I'm curious, uh, first though, before we begin, how did you become interested in exploring this topic? So, first of all, I've been a science writer for many, many years now, and so I've been generally writing about the topic of food, nutrition, and environment as well, and climate change. So these were all topics very close to my heart uh, and my professional life. And at the same time, I've been kind of a vegetarian for the last uh, now 11 years, and that's why I also was very much um, privately interested in meat eating and uh, nutrition. And I read most of of the books, at least the known famous books that we that have been written about meat eating and uh, meat-based diets and uh, environmental concerns uh, as surrounding meat diets and um, and whenever I read those books many of them were really really good and very interesting and yet I was always missing something in them and basically I was looking for an answer to a question to my own question why do humans eat meat at all you know, there are so many, so many warnings, uh, exactly like you've mentioned, the World Health Organization, uh, or all the studies that show that meat eating is not the best for us. Uh, at the same time, now we know that meat eating is responsible for at least 14% of uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and, uh, and these are very warning numbers. And at the same time, we just don't want to give up meat. You know, people just say, I like meat, I love meat, I want to eat meat, I'm craving meat. And so I was wondering, why? What's so special about meat that it's such a different food from all the other foods that we don't want to give give it up at all, despite all the costs? And it's it's a very, very strong craving that we have for meat. The, you know, meat appetites are only growing across the planet. And even in the United States, which is quite surprising for many people, is the newest estimations are that by 2020, the meat consumption is still going to go up 8% in North America. So, uh, and you know, in countries like uh, uh, of Asia, for example, it will be, I think, 56%. So, so it's really, really growing still. And so what is it then? Why do we have this obsession with meat? Is it something intrinsic about our meat, something intrinsic about our biology? Do we need the nutrients in meat? Can we get it from other sources? It's a very difficult question. It took me a whole book to answer it. Uh, So, but basically, 
it boils out, boils down to many different reasons that go into very different areas of our life. So there are reasons that are rooted in our history, in our culture, uh, yes, in the way our taste buds work, uh, in our psychology, in the marketing uh, of the meat industry. Uh, there, you know, there's just a whole kaleidoscope of reasons that come together to make meat a very special food. And there are even some things that are in our genes, you know, that's for some people can make it more difficult to give up meat and for some people a little bit easier. So so there really is there very it's a very wide net of different reasons. So in the whole research do you think it's even possible to give up meat completely meat free as a society? I think it's possible, you know, the whole Indian nation is Maybe, you know, not completely vegetarian, obviously, but it's quite close to, at least in some parts, to being uh, completely vegetarian uh, in some areas. And, uh, and it's, so it's definitely possible. It's just not easy uh, because of our culture and of our history, because I find that these are the strongest reasons why we eat meat. It's not our genes. It's not even that powerful meat industry with its uh, uh, revenues uh, higher than the GDP of Hungary or Ukraine per year. Uh, it's it's our culture and our history, and that's why you know in India people are still most many people are still vegetarian and are doing completely fine, and uh, because their culture is very different and their history and so on. Although India is getting hooked on meat very fast, and th this is really changing because basically they want to be like the West, like us, and so they are, uh, in, in a way, you know, wanting to uh, have the same culture that we do, and that's why they're also starting to eat meat right now. Mm. So, so do you think it's easier to go down the path towards meat rather than away from it? Uh, it's a, towards me. I don't know. It's a very difficult question. It really depends. Uh, definitely, if you li live in the United States uh, in the early 21st century, it's easier to eat meat for sure because that's what most of society eats. And uh, and you know, if you give up meat, uh, it's a little bit as if you were giving up a part of your culture because uh, because eating is a very, very communal affair. So eating is a very the thing that's very deeply ingrained in our psychology, you know, sociology and so on. So uh, if you give up on a food that's very typical of a culture, uh, it's like saying no to part of this culture. It's a little bit, you know, if you are, for example, uh, Chinese and you will say, I will never eat rice again, that's a little bit also as giving, like giving up a part of your culture. And the same with meat in the United States, if you say no to burgers or hot dogs, uh, you are rejecting a little bit of the history and culture and so on. And that's why it's so frowned upon and that's why other people don't take it usually very well. So I'm sure certainly everyone has heard about uh, the amount of resources it goes just to produce meat, how uh, in some ways wasteful it is in terms of the eventual calorie uh, content. Why is it that an industry still persists around it? You know, the industry wants to persist because that's how they make money, you know, we, we, so of course they want to sell it, that's like the oil industry wants to keep selling oil, you know, it's, uh, uh, that's some, something we sometimes keep forgetting that meat industry is just an industry, they basically want to sell their products and they'll do anything to sell those products and, you know, we keep thinking, you know, that about our nutrition and the good of the country and so on, no, they just want to sell their products and, you know, that's their right, they, they, they are producers of the products, so uh, just like shoes or cars or whatever. So, and that doesn't mean that this is a good product for us and that we should be necessarily buying it. So, how do you think then that these cultural adaptations for meat uh, have evolved? 
So it's a very long history, basically, that goes back to exactly, as I mentioned in the title of my book, 2.5 million years ago, uh, when our ancestors started to eat meat in the first place. So meat is a very unusual food compared to other food because it comes in a very large, usually very large packages. You know, if you have a carrot, it's a, quite a small product that the one person can eat or a cabbage or a potato or whatever. But if you have a gazelle, even, uh, even though it's not the biggest animal, you know, it, it's quite big. You cannot eat generally by itself because before the meat spoils. So you, you, you have to share it with others. And if you have a product that's highly nutritious, like meat is, and dense in calories, uh, and you have to share it with someone else, it creates a lot of, you know, it gives you power. You have something that it wants and you are going to share it. It depends, you know, you can now decide this guy gets nothing, this one gets a lot, who gets the best piece and so on. So this is power and that's how meat got, you know, got connected with power and became a symbol of wealth and power so early on. And this, this also happens with other animals. For example, chimps also share meat and they use it uh, as a tool in their politics and and uh, making coalitions between uh, alpha males and so on they they use meat in the, exactly the same the same way and uh, so very very early on meat came to symbolize power and later on because also meat is quite specific because it's rare it's uh, it's it, it has been rare in human history until basically now, and uh, and so because it was so rare, it was craved. That's something in our psychology that's called a scarcity principle. So basically, if something is very hard to get. We we generally tend to want it. So that's why, you know, if you go to a supermarket, you can see, I don't know, TV sets advertised, you know, only 10 left by now. Then this really makes us want it. So the same thing with meat, because over the centuries, meat was rare. We really wanted to buy it. We really wanted that, that meat. And at the same time, all uh, the wealthy people, the aristocracy, had plentiful meat. They ate basically nothing but meat uh, in medieval Europe, for example. And if you read those uh, menus from back then for, for dinner parties and so on, this basically meat upon meat upon meat upon meat and nothing else. And so looking at, up at those rich people, the vast majority of the society of Europe really wanted to that meat. And so it again became to symbolize wealth and power and so on. So it became craved and this is some kind of a cultural heritage that's very hard to give up. Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of uh, explains like, the rise of meat in certain cultures, but uh, as you mentioned earlier, India, cultures which are primarily vegetarian, why did vegetarianism sort of take root there? Why did meat not sort of the, the power or sway that it did in those cultures? So that's a quite complicated story and uh, not completely understood, but there are some reasons. For example, uh, in India, they have plentiful meat substitutes uh, in, uh, in, in the plant kingdom. So they have uh, those Thousands of different species of beans and lentils. That you know, that is enough to sustain an amazing cuisine. That is a perfect meat substitute. In in medieval Europe, we didn't have it. So you know, our vegetable kingdom and what what the, the peasants could eat was not as rich as what um, people in India had. At the same time, also they they uh, cooked their foods using lots of spices, which are also available locally. And in Europe, the plant food was very you know an 
uninteresting. It was bland, so it was cabbage with potatoes and nothing else. And in India at the same time, when again you read those dinner menus, you know, they were they were great, you know, those were lentils with some aromatic spices and cardamom and you know, it, it was really appetizing. So so that's definitely a very important factor that uh, they had really good food and these were foods also eaten by the rich people because they were so so good and at the same time of course religion was extremely important so Hinduism um, and uh, was very very big reason why India became vegetarian because the aristocracy went vegetarian because in India it was exactly opposite than in medieval Europe. In medieval Europe, the rich people ate meat, and that's what the peasants aspired to. And in India, it was the opposite. The rich people were vegetarian, because they were the highest caste, who were supposed to be, you know, pure Hindu vegetarian. And so the, the, the peasants aspired to be like the vegetarian rich people. So, so you know, it's all about aspirations. So, and, and now, nowadays, the Indian people are they have new wealthy kind of you know people to asp- to look up to and this is the west and that's why they are aspiring to eat meat again mm-hmm. again as you mentioned one of the things about uh, meat is that for many people just it really just tastes good it has this sort of satisfying aspect to it and at least in uh, western cultures perhaps the vegetarian dishes at least were not as well cultivated in terms of the cuisine and the culture do you think that that is changing at least in western cultures do you think that development of rich vegetarian cuisine Cuisines can drive the change to a vegetarian diet. Oh sure, I'm, I'm I'm quite certain that it's extremely important. So, for example, in 19th century, um, the vegetarians of the time they were actually growing in popularity the vegetarian diets, and there were quite a few uh, very important people who supported such diets. One of them was John Harvey Kellogg, for example, of the Kellogg's cornflakes and peanut butter, and uh, also Lester Graham, for example. So, so there were a few important people who were people who were trying to push for vegetarian diets. But at the same time, they were pushing for very bland diets. So they were against not only meat, but also spices and salt. And uh, and they were also telling everybody that the vegetables should be really overcooked into mushiness, you know, like really really bland food and this was bad food nobody wanted to eat it really so they weren't encouraging anybody to switch with that and nowadays you know the vegetarian cooking is is so much better we have so many options and and that that is very different and it's very important as well and also the fact that there are so many blogs and uh, and cookbooks and you know uh, telling teaching people how to cook vegetarian food this is also very important because studies actually show that the main reason why vegetarians go back to eating meat is because these people who try vegetarian diets is because they don't know how to cook vegetarian food. It's just the lack of skills and uh, we just don't know how to replace that meat on the plate. And if there are so many you know, websites with great recipes and videos and so on, this is definitely going to change things. There's just something also innate in our biology. I mean, some of us, we, we just couldn't give up a burger. I mean, we just have a craving for it. Is, is there something that just drives us to it? There is something definitely in meat. The meat is meat is a very particular mixture of flavors. So I was trying to figure out exactly what is so special about meat. You know, we know, for example, why ice cream is good because it's a mixture of sugar and fat, right? But what is so special about meat? So so in meat you also have this kind of powerful mixture of very appealing ingredients and one of them is again fat another one is uh, the taste called umami that's the, f- the fifth basic taste 
taste, and so which in Japanese uh, stands for delicious. Uh, and and the third component are the so-called sense of something called the Maillard reaction. It's the browning reaction that happens when you cook something in very dry heat. So, for example, if you grill meat on, on, on a grill, it starts browning on, on the outside, and this is the Maillard reaction happening. It smells really delicious. And the, these three things, so the fat, the Maillard reaction, and umami, the, together make meat very unique because there really aren't any other foods nowadays that have everything like this in one small package because you can replace you know the the fat with avocados for example or have the umami taste from mushrooms or the Maillard reactions from the from toasted bread but unless you make the sandwich like this you know you don't have it all in one package like that mm. and this sort of process of cooking also makes the meat uh, a little bit more tr nutritious or, or at least more easily digested is that uh, again something that helps to drive our consumption of meat or our desire for meat Definitely raw meat is very unappealing, you know. Raw meat doesn't really have any flavor to it. It's just kind of bloody, watery. It doesn't have any flavor at all. And what's interesting, actually, that even animals prefer their meat cooked. So there were studies showing that if you give burgers, grilled burgers, to uh, apes, and, and uh, for example, they will choose it over, and mice as well, they'll actually choose it over raw meat. So, so there is something very specific in it that appeals to everyone. And uh, other studies at the same time show that cooked meat uh, is in a way more, you could say, caloric. Uh, it has more energy, provides everybody with more energy than raw meat. Uh, so it actually applies to all foods. So cooked carrots will also be more energetic than, than raw carrots. Uh, precisely because of the ease of digestion. And so definitely when humans started cooking meat, uh, meat became even more valuable to us. And also it was easier to chew because uh, our human bodies are not really made for eating raw meat. We don't have the jaws or the teeth of carnivores, so it's really hard to chew a piece of raw meat. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm curious then, uh, you know, we talk about all the problems of meat. Uh, are there any benefits to eating meat? Uh, is it better in moderation or in limited amounts? And and, uh, and really on balance, uh, what do you think the science tells us about uh, uh, sort of meat-eating versus vegetarianism as, as a diet? I mean, it, de it depends. So if we're talking about the Western society, so if we're talking about the United States, then generally vegetarian or even vegan is, is definitely better because we have, you know, we have nutritious diets. We can have many different foods that we want. We can eat vegetarian and be very healthy, actually healthier than on meat-based diets because studies show, for example, that, uh, that vegetarian uh, seven-day Adventists in California uh, live on average over nine years longer, that's for men, and, and more than six years longer, uh, that's for women, than all the other Californians. So, so generally, and of course, there is all this lower risk of cancers and heart attack and diabetes and so on. So definitely vegetarians in the Western world are healthier. But on the other hand, if you live somewhere in Africa, for example, and the only other foods that you have are, um, are you know, tubers that are very starchy and uh, have very little protein in them, and basically your diet is very poor, then of course you should be eating meat because uh, this will provide you with proper nutrition. But we are not, we know most of our listeners probably are not farmers in poor corners of Africa, so yes, you'll be better off on vegetarian diets. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we are running slightly out of time. I'm just curious, maybe if you have uh, some final words regarding uh, the history and science of our 2.5 million year obsession with meat. 
Yes, yeah, so basically, you know, as you've said, 2.5 million years, that's a lot of history to undo and a lot of culture and a lot of, uh, a lot of beliefs and, uh, and cliches and myths and so on. So it takes a very long time to change our diets. And, but at the same time, you know, our history t- teaches us that humans are very opportunistic animals. Uh, so whenever some in, in our history of our species, of our actually even before our species, uh, of our ancestors, hominin ancestors, whenever something in our environment changed, for example, the climate changed, we adapted our diets and we changed them. We used to be vegan, for example, subsisting mostly on fruits. Then we became vegan, subsisting mostly on tree bark and leaves and grass and then we started eating meat so it really you know it really we really changed our diets tremendously uh, over the course of evolution depending on the environment and again once again the environment is changing the climate is changing once again and we should adapt once again so we should you know profit from our omnivorous habits and start eating much much more more plant foods than we used before Hmm. well the new book is called meat hooked the history and science of our 2.5 million year obsession with meat and the author is uh, science journalist marta zaruska and uh zaruska i want to thank you very much for joining us today on the grok science show thank you so much and that's all for this week's edition of the grok science show Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.